The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I'm starting a new series today that is based upon the book, The Five Choices, The Path uh, uh, to Extraordinary Productivity. I butchered that, so let me say that again. The name of this show is uh, this new series is based upon the book, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity by Corey Cogan, Adam Merrill, and Lena Rain. This book is about how to produce better productivity, how to create better time management, how to produce the results you desire. It's really important that you recognize and realize that you can be more efficient than you are, even if you are highly efficient. The real thing is, how do we look at life? How do we look at our time? How do we manage things that come up in our lives? And what are some of the best strategies, some of the best proven strategies to produce the results you desire in your life? It's really important. So what I decided to do was take this book, teach it to you all, add some new thought stuff to it as needed and hopefully you will order the book and do what you need to do with it to produce the results you want again i don't know these people i did meet Corey cogan many years ago not many years ago about five years ago when this book came out i was actually at a book signing and presentation of the book and i was really impressed by her and i was really impressed by the information she was presenting And I think that it's really important to get material that will help you produce the results you want. I'm all about getting results. I'm all about getting results because I think that a life without the results you desire becomes very unfulfilled. It becomes very frustrating to not produce things that you say you want in life. And many times it's the habits we have and the strategies that we have that keep us from producing the results that we desire. 
So what I'm going to do with this book is just teach the chapters one at a time to help you see how you can use these five choices to produce extraordinary productivity. So, all right, let's get to it. So the first thing I want to deal with is going into the introduction because I think, and again, this book has fantastic stories and I won't have time to teach the stories in the book. What I'm going to do is try to pull the principles out of the books and out of the book rather and help you utilize it in a pragmatic matter matter. All right. On page three of the book, it states that when you picked up this book, you probably did it for one of two reasons. Number one, you're looking for some new ideas about how to be more productive. You may actually be managing pretty well, but you want to improve. You want to manage your time better to get more out of each day. You may want to make more of a difference to progress in your career, to have more time for those people who are important to you or to achieve some really important goals. So you're, you might, your life might be working in a way that really makes good sense to you, but you want to be more productive. You want to be more efficient. You want to get more results. So you're looking for some new ideas to be more productive. Number two, you feel buried every day and you want some serious help. You may, however, feel like this person in the story she just told, struggling to stay above the growing pile of things to do and the demands and decisions coming at you all day long. You may feel out of balance and that you rarely have time for yourself. You may feel that your health and relationships are suffering and that your primary goal is just to get through the day in one piece. If you, if, excuse me, you know if something doesn't change soon, you just might explode. So that's saying that life isn't working for you in a way that makes sense. Your, your time management really is out of control. The demands on your day, the responsibilities are, are becoming overwhelming, and you're seeking to produce the results that will help you from breaking down or exploding or burning out. I'm a big believer that people are burning out because of the demands and responsibilities that have been placed on them. So what the five choices will do is help you understand how to be more efficient with the responsibilities and demands of your work life and your personal life. So you can have a better sense of wholeness and peace and produce the life in work in your work life and in your personal life that actually fulfills the soul instead of drains the soul. And that does make a difference. All right. So she talked, uh, they talk about in this book on page four, what they call the productivity paradox, the productivity paradox. And that is, it has never been easier in human history to accomplish great things. A big part of that is the dramatic increase in the power of technology to make us more productive. Yet, paradoxically, paradoxically, these same technologies can make it harder than ever to accomplish the things that are important to us. 
So at on one end, having the technology of a supercomputer called a, a cell phone in your pocket, on your hip, in your wallet, in your purse, makes life easier than ever. Computers, laptops, tablets, the technology, the internet, allow all these apps. It allows everything to be way more efficient than ever before. We can produce things in ways that were we couldn't have imagined years ago. Yet, the paradox is that same technology pulls away from us accomplishing things many times because the technology can turn into a distraction to productivity, and that's one of the things we'll be dealing with in this series, how to manage your technology. I, I, I often tell people that I'm glad, like really glad, that I learned uh, new thought, Christian metaphysics, consciousness development, spiritual laws, metaphysical Bible interpretation, you know, subconscious mind training and development, and all the things I've learned through the years before the the internet really blew up and before cell phones became a real thing. Because I was studying in the in the early to mid nineties, I didn't have a cell phone, which was a basic phone, you know, make calls. And then, you know, then, you know, texting came slightly after that, or you had to type the same number over and over again, get the letter you wanted <laughs> until you, they came up with the keyboard cell phones and then the smartphones. I'm glad that I learned what I learned before the distractions of notifications because that's one of the things I'm going to talk about. Not this week, but it's coming down the pike because the notifications pull you off sometimes of what you want to do. I had to literally turn my Facebook notifications off. I had to turn my Instagram notifications off. I had to turn my Twitter notifications off because every time I wanted to do something, bing, ding, bing, bing, ding, ding, stuff was happening all the time. There are times when I'm, working and studying, I put my phone on do not disturb and only the key people that I need to contact me will are able to call or text me. And even with those people, I will tell them sometimes, hey, you know, I'm 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 studying, I'm researching, I'm doing something right now, doing my meditation work, whatever. You know, don't give don't call for an hour, don't call for two hours or whatever. Because I need them to understand that it's that all those notifications, they do something to the brain to pull your attention away from it. You know, having YouTube, having all the apps, having games on your phones, having all the social media on your phones, all of those things do something to the brain. And it's important that we pull ourselves away and use the technology and, and not allow the technology to use us. And I'm not saying that's not easy because I of myself am working with trying to get better, not trying to get better, getting better with not allowing my iPhone to be a distraction because it can be. And, you know, and sometimes you have to, you know, do things, you have to be very proactive to make sure that you are taking control of your life. Now, let me, um, 
let me add one other thing on page five, talking about information, because right now we're in a world of information overload. They wrote, we become buried alive by the unstoppable flow of everything that comes our way, which robs us of the energy we could be spending on higher value activities. In many cases, we have redefined success as simply getting things done on time, barely, rather than doing the important things with the attention and quality that makes us feel like we are, in fact, doing extraordinary work. The tech-enabled, hyper-paced nature of our work has impacted our lives to such a degree that people feel overwhelmed like never before. All right. So in the introduction, and I'm going to deal with chapter one after the break, but I just want to deal with the introduction right now. The first thing we have to deal with is challenge number one, which is on page six. We are making more decisions than ever. All right. And we talked about they talk about how in previous uh, work industries, work was basically, you know, assembly line type work and very low decisions. But now work is decision based and they they wrote it this way however the, in the 21st century the way value is created has shifted from the manual labor required to put things together to the creative mental labor that designs engineers markets and sells today's complex processes services and products today's economic value has shifted from low decision content work to high decision content work from our hands to our brains the productivity challenge is that the velocity of incoming decisions required to do our work is almost overwhelming and what most people do because they are committed hard-working people is that they try to handle this in a linear way they take decisions as they come handling them one at a time making them as well as and fast as they can and then moving on to the next one like an assembly line why because that's the way we've been conditioned this is where our parents did it our grandparents did it etc cetera, etc cetera. the problem is that high value decisions don't come in a predictable order they are non-linear opportunities all right a linear approach in a non-linear reality is a recipe for failure. So you just can't deal with stuff that just shows up. You got to figure out how to deal with the things that are most important that will give you the most impact to what you're seeking to do. In other words, they go on to write, putting our heads down and simply doing more faster does not create extraordinary productivity in a world where value is found in stepping back prioritizing the choices coming in and making good decisions on the things that really impact results. So that's telling us that we're getting more information, but we're not necessarily um, uh, thinking in we're, we're using an old model to deal with a new way of living. And one of the things that they talk about, I think is really great. They talked about how the Harvard Business Review uh, study uh, uh, low complexity jobs with low decision making. Uh, let me just read it because I think this is really good. In a telling study cited in the Harvest Business Review, a top performer in low complexity jobs where decision making is at a minimum, 
like a worker in a fast food restaurant, were found to be about three times more productive than the lowest performers. In medium complexity jobs, like a production worker in a high-tech factory, the top performers were found to be 12 times more productive. However, in high-complexity jobs where the right decision makes all the difference, like a software engineer or an associate in an investment banking firm, or I'll say a preacher, I'm just going to throw that in there, the differences between the top and bottom performers were so profound they were unmeasurable. So low-complexity jobs from the lowest to the best the was a, a three-times multiplier. In other words, a low-complexity worker who was more efficient can be three times more efficient than a, a low performer. In a medium complexity, a high performer can be 12 times more effective or productive. In a high complexity job, you can be infinitely more effective. Why? Because decision making. So they asked the question, are there some areas where the right decision will make a huge difference in your results? That's something to think about. The second challenge is our attention is under unprecedented attacks. In other words, uh, as I mentioned earlier, all of the notifications, they wrote it this way. All the beeps, buzzes, and banners that invade our mental space come at a cost to our ability to focus on the things that really matter. Even your personal technology can become your enemy territory. If you have ever Googled something important and then 45 minutes of links later found yourself watching brainless videos or reading things that had no value to you at all, you've experienced how easily your attention can be taken from you if you're not conscious about it. All right? And it tells you why. The marketing world does a good job of exploiting our natural tendencies toward distractions. All right? So you go on your phone for one thing. The next thing you know, you find yourself on Amazon. You find yourself watching a YouTube video. You find yourself playing a game. You pop on Facebook for one notification, and then you find yourself 30 minutes later scrolling on Facebook, looking at other people's pages, reading comments, uh, reading articles. How does that happen? It's intentional. And that's why you have to be mindful about taking your time back. All right? So the author wrote on page 9, when we say we are paying attention to something, we are recognizing that attention comes at a cost. It takes an investment of energy to attend to something. This is not just figurative. It is biological and neurological because attention requires effort. It is far easier to let your brain become distracted by less important things. So your attention comes at a cost. Your, your attention is an investment in something. And when you invest in something, you're not investing in something else. And then when you want to do the important stuff, you might not have the mental space and energy to invest in it the way you need to to produce the results you desire. So they go on to say, bottom line, if, if we're not careful, we can go on mental autopilot, moving from one stimulating and distracting input to another and miss the things that are uniquely meaning, meaningful, the things that can make our days, lives, and relationships extraordinary. All right. The third challenge is we're suffering from a personal energy crisis. Again, challenge number three, we're suffering from a personal energy crisis. All right. It says, in the middle of all the decisions coming at you 
and the attention grabbing distractions around you, do you find yourself struggling to think clearly at work? Do you feel worn out much of the time? All right. So, and then it goes on uh, many things about the coffee and the stimulus and the energy drinks and other things we do to try to stay on, on track because we feel mentally tired. The next paragraph states, a productive life is a conscious life, and that takes mental energy. All right? All right. And I love this. Next paragraph. Energy management is just not about physical energy, although that is important too. It's about the raw energy requirements of performing mental labor. Again, this is not just met metaphorical. It is biological and neuro it is a biological and neurological reality. Your brain needs certain things in order to function well, like glucose and oxygen. And there are a number of factors that influence how well they are supplied to your brain. Yet, our normal work environments are extremely unfriendly to our brains. In other words, the normal work environment is pressing on your brain. I really want that to land. So, moving on. What's the impact of all of these challenges? Page 11. In this research, people indicated that about 60% of their time was being spent on important things and about 40% was being spent on things that were not important to them or their companies. So, in any work environment, you can have people doing, doing things that will not help themselves or the company get better 40% of the time in your personal life, doing things 40% of the time that will not help you, not help your loved ones in any way, shape, or form get better or produce the results you desire in no way, shape, or form. I really want that to land, that studies have been done with hundreds of thousands of people in multiple countries and all of the continents and they have discovered that most people function at about 60% of the time doing important things all right from an organizational standpoint this implies that only about half of the money you spend on payroll is being directed toward things that matter to your organization. When it comes to your family life, that means that little more than half of what you do is really making a productive impact in your family. All right? So they say it this way on page 13. In our experience, this is the biggest hidden cost in organizations today. It is the cost of people spending their precious time, attention, and energy on things that don't drive your most important re results. You know, this is one of the things that every manager and leader has to deal with. Pulling people away from things that don't matter, making mountains out of mohills, focusing on things that won't move the needle, focusing attention mental energy, emotional energy, physical energy, financial resources on things that don't help us get the results we desire. You know, I often tell people, even at 
Christ Universal Temple, when I see sometimes people being pulled into some stuff that they don't need to do, I'll say, hey, your time is too important to be pulled into this. Your time is too important. Your, your skill set is too important to the overall good to be pulled into some of this other stuff. You got to be really, really careful. So we have to ask ourselves about producing results. All right. What is it that we're seeking to do and how are we seeking to do it? So what's the promise of this book and this series? This is found on page 17. Our premise in writing this book is that everyone has the capability to do extraordinary work. Everyone has the potential to go to bed at the end of each day feeling satisfied and accomplished. However, in order to do this, you will need to directly address the three challenges that underlie the productivity paradox. You will need to increase your capability in three areas. You want to write these down. The three areas you need to increase your capability in are decision management, attention management, energy management. Again, decision management, attention management, and energy management. What these five choices will do is help you get better around these three areas. That's what the, this series is about. And we're going to study it all of March and all of April. Like in the Bible where uh, Jacob said to God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So we're going to take our time with this series. And we're going to drill down with this one by one, bit by bit, to produce the results that are necessary for us to get the life that we desire. That's extremely important. And I don't want us to get around it. It's extremely important. So uh, let me give our quick commercial because we're about less than a minute from our break. Make sure that you're checking out Christ Universal Temple's uh, Sunday service every Sunday, 1030 a.m. Central Time on our website, www.cutemple.org, our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, or our YouTube channel, CU Temple. If you watch it on YouTube, you can watch it on your TV. Uh, also, make sure you're checking out our Facebook Live lessons, noon Central Time, Monday through Friday. I teach them along with a couple other people, and uh, those lessons are really good, and they're normally based on the Daily Inspiration for Better Living periodical. Also, uh, uh, Reverend Wells has a Facebook, uh, you know, basically teaching class on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central Time called Temple Talks. All you have to do is go on Facebook and put in at Rev Derek Wells and you should be able to pull it up. And uh, I think that covers what we need to cover right now. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Hello, everyone. This is Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm teaching the book, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. So one other thing I want to cover before I actually get into chapter one is one quick thing. The first thing is, uh, well, the, the thing is, when we're dealing with decision, attention, and energy, it's broken up into the five choices. At the decision level, uh, the first thing we have to do is act on the important, don't react to the urgent. That's the first of the five choices. Number two, go for extraordinary. Don't settle for ordinary. Yet again, that's choice number two. That's under the the decision part of the five choices. Under the attention part is number three, the third choice. Schedule the big rocks. Don't sort the gravel. And we're going to deal with all of these one at a time. Number four is fourth choice is rule your technology. Don't let it rule you. Again, these two are under attention. Number five is energy. Fuel your fire. Don't burn out. So when we're doing these things, we produce extraordinary productivity. All right? So I just want to make sure that we covered that before I get into choice number one. All right. Okay, now let's do this. All right. So, moving on. Choice number one, act on the important. Don't react to the urgent. It starts off with a quote from Dr. Stephen Covey. This book actually comes out of Franklin Covey, by the way, Stephen Covey's work. He said, or wrote, anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. I'm going to repeat it. Anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. So the moment you don't choose what's important, you're actually unconsciously choosing what's unimportant. Where do you want that to land? I really want that to land. The moment you don't choose what's important, you are unconsciously choosing what's not important. Moving on. So it's a lot of stories at the beginning of this chapter, but then it gets to um, what I want to deal with, which is page 26. How well are you using your brain? How well are you using your brain? So they break it up into two basic things, what they call the reactive brain and the thinking brain. The reactive brain and the thinking brain. The reactive brain is the lower part of your brain. It is the source of fight or flight response and is also where we process our feelings and emotions. Importantly, as we will see, it is also where your brain processes pleasure and enjoyment. Most of these processes happen automatically before we have time to think about what's going on. The reactive brain is also the place of acquired yet deep-seated 
habits, all right? These are the patterns of thinking and behavior we've placed there so strongly that they have become unconscious and automatic, like driving to work while we're busy thinking about something else. Some people will call this subconscious or the unconscious, all right? All right. The next part is the thinking mind or brain. In contrast, the upper part of our brain, the thinking brain, is where is the place where we make conscious and very intentional decisions. In New Thought, we would call this the conscious mind. All right. It is often called the executive function because it is where we can consciously direct and override other impulses from the reactive brain. So in New Thought, we tell people that if you want to change subconscious habits and behaviors, you have to use conscious intention to recreate new mental programming to produce new habits and behaviors, new feelings, new emotions, new attitudes. That's a conscious effort. That's not a subconscious effort. It's a conscious effort that impresses the subconscious mind. I just want to be clear. All right. Now, this is really key. Because the responses of the reactive brain are deeply ingrained, they take very little energy. From a mental standpoint, the, the mental, the neural pathways of the brain, they work really, they work really easily. They've been ingrained, they're deeply ingrained, and it's easy just to follow through on something that is subconscious. It doesn't take a lot of conscious effort, all right? They go on to write, much of the advertising we see is designed to appeal to the reactive brain, startling motions, surprising sounds, sexual imagery, and so on. In the words of one researcher, the implications for marketers are clear. To move people quickly and with the least amount of resistance, we need to focus much of our effort on low-road physical and emotional processing, which are the superhighways to the consumer unconscious. So let's break this down. Let's break this down. The thinking brain, what does it do? Or the conscious mind, again, putting some new thought twist on it. The thinking brain, planning, attention, self-control, choices, follow-through. All right. The reactive brain, we will call subconscious. Reflexes, instincts, emotions, reactions, impulses. So they do two totally different things and both are equally needed. But if you want to change your life, you have to be intentional. If you want to change your life, you have to be intentional and make conscious mind decisions about your life. All right. We have to be learn to be conscious. When I first came to Christ Universal Temple, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman used to say, you have to be consciously aware. That was a term she used consistently. Consciously aware. Because we can have some level of awareness, but we're not really conscious to what we are aware of. We're kind of aware that this stuff is happening, but we're not really paying attention. We need to be consciously aware to create transformation. All right. So the method that they're going to use to help us with this is what 
Franklin Covey calls the time matrix. And the time matrix is based upon two things, urgent and important. It is based upon, it's a quandra, so it's four levels or four sections, but they're all based upon urgent and important. What is urgent? Something that feels like it has to be done right now, whether or not it makes a difference in terms of results. Important, something that if not done will have serious consequences in terms of results. Now, I can't show you on an audio podcast what this looks like, but if you buy the book, you'll see it. And if push comes to shove, just look up Franklin Covey, The Four Quadrants. The Four Quadrants. And it will help you have a visual of this. Now, what are these four quadrants? Uh, there's quadrant number one, which is necessity. All right? Necessity is uh, contains things that are both urgent and important. It is filled with crisis, crises like a hospital visit, emergency meetings, last-minute deadlines, pressing problems, and unforeseen events. These are the things that need to be done now, and if not done, could have serious consequences. That's why we call it the quadrant of necessity. These are the things that come, you know, these are the almost emergency things. These are the things that have to be done right now. Drop everything. It has to be done right now. However, they wrote, if you spend a lot of time in Q1, quadrant one, you may feel productive and energized But if you spend too much time there, you might also burn out. Spending all your time dealing with the drama of crises and pressing problems will keep your stress levels high and drain you of your best thinking and creative energy. Although it is often often necessary to be in Q1, it is rarely where we do our best work, most creative and highest value work, even though it may feel like it at the time this is where you have to be careful because q1 is where you get the high of the last minute of of completion of something you know there are folks and i've been guilty of this myself because i'll tell myself you know i do my best work when i'm under pressure but was that the but is that true or you're just really good at it and you get a high from doing things at the last minute or would you be more productive with better planning you have to be careful of the of the of the high your brain will give you from beating the last minute deadlines in other words you create the problem to get the high to reinforce the belief that you do your best work under pressure now we're going to skip q2 for a moment to go to q3 q3 Quadrant three is the quadrant of distraction. Quadrant three activities are urgent but not important because they are because things here are urgent. They feel like they need to be done now, but in reality, there are no serious consequences if you don't do them. Many people spend a lot of time in quadrant three, thinking they're in quadrant one. However, they're just reaching, reacting to everything coming their way. They are confusing motion with progress, action with accomplishment. You got to be careful. 
a lot of people do Q3, Quadrant 3 work, things that are urgent, but they're not really important. They don't really move the needle. All right? They go on to say, Q3 takes the attention and energy we could be putting toward things that are really important and that can really make an impact every day at work and at home. Then there's Quadrant 4. Quadrant 4 is the quadrant of waste. Things in Quadrant 4 are neither urgent nor important. We call this the quadrant of waste. We shouldn't be here at all, but we often get so burned out fighting in Q1 and Q3 that we go here to escape. This is where we let our brains go completely unconscious and fill our time with excessive relaxation, not relaxation, excessive relaxation. You know how you can relax so long that you feel like you're tired? Like you've been resting all day, but you feel tired from being in the bed and being on the couch. That's excessive. Um, excessive television, gaming, internet surfing, gossip, and other time wasters. Q4 is where we find things that are taken to extreme. Appropriate and renewing relaxation, for instance, is very important activity and is found in Quadrant 2, which we'll talk about shortly. But when we find that we have spent 10 hours on the weekend still in pajamas with the remote in hand watching reruns of some reality show we don't even care about, we've known we've gone from productive relaxation to some murky deep place into Quadrant 4. When we spend a lot of time in Quadrant 4, we feel lethargic and aimless. If we stay there too long, we can experience depression and even despair. We can feel guilty knowing that our time would be better invested in more important things, but we lack the energy to go there. Although we might find momentary pleasure in some of the activities, they are really empty calories. They don't nourish our lives, our relationships, or our sense of self-worth. The time and energy you invest here generates zero return. Now let's talk about Quandra 2. This is where you want to live. This is where you get your best work done. This is where you're most productive. Quandra 2 is the quadrant of extraordinary productivity. Quandra 2 activities are important but not urgent. This is the quadrant of extraordinary productivity because here is where you take charge of your own life and do the things that will make a real difference in terms of accomplishment and results. In quadrant two, you will find things like proactive work, achieving high-impact goals, creative thinking, planning, prevention, relationship building, learning, and renewal. Unlike the other quadrants where things come at you, you have to consciously choose to be in quadrant two. You have to use the thinking part of your brain to discern the things of highest value and act on them. All right. So moving on to page 34, the author wrote, it takes energy and thoughtful decision making and will likely require you to break habits and socialization that makes that may feel counterintuitive, but the effort brings incredible returns. Now, this is why this is extremely important. 
Time spent in Quandra 2 reduces the crises and problems in Quandra 1 because you intentionally spend time planning, preparing, and preventing. I'm going to read that again. Time spent in Quandra 2 reduces the crises and problems in Quandra 1 because you spend uh, time planning, preparing, and preventing. All right? This is how you reduce your high blood pressure. This is how you produce your, reduce your stress. This is how you stop getting the ulcers. This is how you uh, allow the anxiety to, and the depression and frustration to, to diminish by spending quality time planning, pre preparing, and preventing. In other words, it won't turn into an emergency. Now, there's some unavoidable emergencies in life, but you can't live there. Some people live lives from one emer seeming emergency to another. And sometimes it's because they've become martyrs of emergency and they've become people who are always fixing everybody else's life, but they don't take care of their own. But remember, on an airplane, when if there's turbulence and the oxygen mask drops it, the, the flight attendant says, put the mask on you first and then your loved one. Why? Because you can't help somebody truly if you're not together yourself. And if you're living, jumping from one emergency to the next, reacting to everything, just reacting to emergency after emergency, or in Q3, uh, things that are urgent but not important, then you won't have peace. You won't have satisfaction. You won't have fulfillment. And you won't have uh, uh, the productivity you desire in life. So let's look at this from the standpoint of investment. The time and energy you invest in Quadrant 2 generates returns that are much higher, even, uh, even much higher, way higher than what you normally would invest or put in it. So I want you to think about it from the standpoint of how they say it in this book. What is your return on the moment? What's your ROM? What's your return on the uh, on this moment? So as you're doing something, ask yourself, what's my return on this moment? If I stop and do this, what's my return on this? So they broke it down on the amount of time spent on things that are um, that really matter and important. All right, fifty-one percent is spent on urgent activities. 30.8 spent on things that really matter. That's Quandra 2. On Quandra 3 and 4, 23.6, Quandra 3, Quandra 4, 17.9, which means that 41.5% of, of our time is spent on unimportant activities. All right? So look at this like money. And they wrote it this way. If there were, if this were the investment portfolio for the time and energy of your life, where would you rather be investing? What, if you could increase the amount of time you spend in Quandra 2 by even a few more percentage points? Do the hard analysis. Remembering the investment metaphor for the matrix. Ask yourself, what is my return on this moment? If you're doing something in Quandra 1, in other words, remember that's, uh, the quadrant that's necessity, 
crisis, emergency, last-minute deadlines, pressing problems, unforeseen events. That's a break-even. So whatever you do is basically breaking even. At Q3, which is distraction, uh, urgent but not important, you get a negative return. All right? And quadrant four, which is waste, you get zero return. Nothing. Q2, exponential return. Exponential. It's an infinite multiplier. So you want to live your life as much as possible in quadrant two. Your time and energy will multiply whatever you do exponentially. All right? So the book gives some examples about how you could do this in a work environment even if you're not the boss. You know, I love one of the things that it talks about because um, uh, one of the questions that come up that uh, that what can you do when, when you're not the boss? And it deals with like the culture of busyness and some of these other stuff that comes up in this choice. So, um, for instance, if, if you go to how to create your own Q2 culture and some of the other things, I think it's really important. All right. So, but I want to, because I, I want to leave you before we go forward with dealing with, uh, before the show is over, because we only got about four minutes left. I want to leave you with a few things. Read this chapter because there's several things about how to say no properly at work, how to create conversations around the things we need. But it gives a formula, and the formula is pause, clarify, decide. Pause. So when stuff shows up, pause. Then clarify and make a decision. What quandary does this fall under? And then uh, it asks some questions. When does this really need to be done? How will this impact the project we're working on? Is there another resource or method for getting this done? Where does this fit relative to the other priorities I'm working on? All right. And it also talks about if you're the boss on page 53, how do you create this culture? Uh, Are my team's goals and priorities clear to everyone? That's a good question if you're the leader. What am I doing that puts people in crisis mode, quadrant one? Am I asking people to do uh, things things others should be doing, quadrant three? Are there reports, processes, or systems that are outdated and no longer necessary but are taking up people's time, quadrant four? Do do I create a safe environment where people can challenge and change with we are doing in order to better achieve our goals? Do I encourage people on my team to pause and clarify the value and impact of a new project or assignment before diving in to get it done? That's if you're the boss. But if you're not the boss, how do you deal with it? All right? So, because that's a good question. People say, well, sometimes my boss is just making me do Q1, Q3, and Q4 stuff. And one of the ways in which you can address this conversation is getting really clear with your boss about, again, pause, 
clarify, decide, okay, what is it you're seeking to do and, you know, seeking to be done and, and best results and how to do it. So in other words, you, 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 you can even share, okay, this is, you know, when, here's the thing, when you're a leader, sometimes you don't have all the information. And sometimes people who are working for you, they drop problems on your lap and they want you to fix it without having the total context. We should be bringing potential solutions to people that work above us. And part of those conversations should look like, uh, how do I have a quadrant two conversation about productivity and the best ways to be more efficient? But a lot of times people are trying to skirt around work. If you don't call me on my stuff, I won't call you on yours. If you're not paying attention, I'll give minimal results, just enough to keep my job, but not necessarily enough that will allow me to be considered an extraordinary employee or a person that's producing extraordinary results. So on page um, 56, 57, they give some examples about how uh, this this person that used in the story could have been more productive, starting from the beginning of the day all the way through. And then on page 59, they give some keys about how can you start to create a quadrant two life. That's on page 59. I would suggest uh, going all over it, writing down your thoughts, drilling down on this a little bit harder, and getting the results you desire to get out of this. Again, this is about productivity. So the first thing we have to understand as I conclude is this. The choice number one is act on the important. Don't react to the urgent. Again, they're going to be emergencies that you can't, you know, people make their transitions. People get sick. Uh, you know, something happens to your homes. Things happen at school with your children. There are emergencies in life. But you can't live in, a, in, in quadrant one and truly be effective. And don't create emergency situations because you get the mental high from being a last-minute worker. So next week, we'll deal with decision management. God bless, and I'll be with you next week with True Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.